Everybody listen to We're Not Wizards. Because we are the best. And we're not wizards. No matter what anybody says. Goodbye. Another episode of We're Not Wizards. My name's Richard. I'll be your host for June. It's June already. Who'd have thought? We are almost halfway through the year. Who could believe it? Now, as you remember, way back in September, uh, back in December. I can't even remember because I almost called it September. That's absolutely ridiculous. But I ran a Kickstarter campaign, and there was a tier where people had the chance to actually come onto the show and talk about anything at all that we wanted. Um, so, so far we've had a couple of people on doing that. We've now got somebody else who's wonderful and fantastic, and that person is Kai Herberts from Herberts Entertainment. And he is here to talk about... It's a game that is so fantastic and so wonderful that even trying to pronounce its name will bring stardust into your life. It's called, it's called the Albedo, or it could be the Albedo. It could be Yggdrasil. It could be something else completely different. Um, but as I say, I've got Kai Herberts from Herberts Entertainment. Hello, sir. How are you? Are you well? Hello, Richard. Thank you. Yes, I'm well. And how are you? I hope you're well as well. I I had this um, horrific realization that before we had to talk, I was reminded um, rather gently by my better half, and they said that you remember that we have a the we've got a, our lawn, our grass at the front of the house is is a state, it's full of weeds. I'm reminded that they're coming tomorrow, but what they were going to doing is they're going to be removing some of the topsoil. So in order to do that, they have to make sure that the grass is as short as possible. So basically, roughly about 10 minutes before we started talking, I was dashing about with a lawnmower um, like a madman. So I'm now probably a bit green and certainly a bit tired. But apart from that, I'm very, very good indeed how about yourself are you well i'm well but i just imagine like uh, one house over there is another podcast and they just have this lawnmower recording now <laughs> i know they're gonna have to put the kind of the noise reduction on so they can kind of take me away from the kind of like yeah i'm gonna be, be getting cursed on some other podcast kind of somewhere else this person they can't and i mean it's not like i was doing it at like a reasonable time of the evening i was doing it at, like at nine o'clock at night so I'm surprised I didn't get somebody kind of leading out the window and shouting at me to be kind of be to kind of be perfectly honest. Yeah, on here it's only on Sundays that people are really <laughs> complaining if you do that, but otherwise <laughs> I think it's fine. <laughs> As um, because we you're um, where where are you based? Are you in Germany? Is that correct? 
Yeah, I'm on the continent, so in, in Düsseldorf, uh, actually oh. it's like uh, 30 uh, kilometers, so half an hour drive from, from Essen, where the big games fair is uh, held. <gasps> so I'm in this very fortunate position that uh, whenever there's a games fair and I have a booth, I can just drive there and uh, have no problem with, with hotel accommodation or, or anything like that. Well, you can just drive home at the end of the day, can't you? I mean, you just, yeah, exactly. you just pack up. In fact, if the kind of the if the mood takes you, you could probably just go home for um go home for lunch. <laughs> if you really, well, not if quite, really, not really quite. Kind of, well, you know, but uh, but it's it's a blessing and a curse because uh, that way I also miss out on uh, all the after show uh, yeah. banter and, and people getting together to play games and that sort of thing. So that's uh, always a little bit I'm a, a little bit sad about it, but I kind of have that uh, at UK Games Expo, for instance. Yeah, I suppose that's um yeah I suppose you get that if you're if you're staying away from home if you are only kind of like just along the road it's really really difficult to say well I'm you know I need to get as much out of this day as possible because it's going to take me you know because it's going to take me ages to kind of drive back um were you are you do you go to Essen on a regular basis I mean are you a regular kind of attender Um, to Essen I've I've attended as just a a visitor so Mm -hmm. just uh, interested in the board game hobby since um, I'm not entirely sure, something like 1995, mm-hmm. and I've only missed it two years uh, when there were things going on in, in my life that where I couldn't make it. So, mm-hmm. uh, for instance, I was actually uh, living in the UK for a while, and then I couldn't oh. justify flying over uh, for that. Um, um, and I've been an exhibitor <laughs> for... Oh, I can't remember, three or four years. So 2016, I started mm. with my booth at Essen. So yeah, I had a, I had the booth three years in a row, and this year will be the fourth year. And with, with UK Games Expo, I was uh, an exhibitor in 2017 and 2018, mm-hmm. and um, the fair just wrapped up, and this, this time I only flew in on Friday the 31st of, uh, of May. As All right. Yeah. All right, okay, okay. Um, one of the things... Obviously, it's your show, so it's your nice. You're allowed to obviously talk about anything that you want, but um, there's obviously a little bit of history because you mentioned um, you mentioned staying in the UK for a while. Was that to do with kind of education? Was that to do with your job? Yeah, it kind was of that education. Time? Yeah. All right, so, okay. so basically, I went to after after school. We have this uh, mandatory military service unless you say I can't go to the military for um, conscious uh, reason mm-hmm. of conscience. And so I actually uh, did this other year. So you you don't you don't get to do whatever you want. You still have to do something for the state. So I yeah. was uh, at um, at a hospital doing stuff there. And uh, then afterwards, I went to university uh, in, in a city called Aachen, uh, oh. which is uh, a very uh, nice place for tourists, but it's a, a very bleak and dreary place to live. Um, <laughs> so afterwards, I was, I was ready for, for something new, something fresh. And then I decided to do a PhD in London and I went to uh, Imperial College London. All right. And... Um, it's uh, it was really quite a an awesome experience because um, I mean New York has this image of of being the the melting pot and people from all over go there 
but I think that's not the case anymore because everybody in New York is like second or third generation American. Whereas in London, you really do have people from all over the world coming together yeah. and they stay for uh, three, four years and then they go home again. Or uh, maybe they stay, but most people, uh, I think, um, go there with a specific purpose in mind and then they go back again. And so there was this, and you also have many, many tourists. Uh, so it was really a marvelous experience. What, what did you do your PhD? Sorry, what did you do your PhD uh, in? Ah, okay, so um, I, I studied electrical engineering and um, the uh, topic was on uh, metamaterial or electromagnetic band gap filters. Um, so, so at the time, uh, metamaterials were uh, this really interesting uh, topic. Uh, so Sir John Pendry, also at Imperial College, but in the physics department, not at electrical engineering, uh, he was in the media, in the, in the press, and said... Um, with metamaterials we can build a harry potter-esque cloaking device and ah, in, in six right. years okay. no in five years i'm going going to have something like that um and so everybody jumped on that and said oh we we need to we need to race to to uh, invent this and uh, mm -hmm. this is a very ambitious thing so instead i went on this uh, filter uh, route instead uh, which um, uh, was a bit more attainable let's say and um, yeah, that was uh, basically what, what I was researching at the time. And then afterwards, it, it was really difficult to, to find a job um, mm. because uh, there are not many tech companies in, in London. It's, it's all banking and a lot of my peers went into banking. But yeah. uh, at that time, this uh, Lehman Brothers stuff happened. And so banking wasn't really a viable option either. And um, then I, I cast a wider net and ended up back in Germany. And ironically, a lot of people who uh, still stayed in uh, engineering went, went to Germany with me. So, so what is it you do now? Are you still staying in, and are you still in the kind of the similar, similar kind of field to what you're studying? Are you, are, you, are you kind of like an engineer kind of in general then? Uh, I did that for a while. So when I went back in 2011, um, I worked at the Fraunhofer Institute in Wachtberg, uh, which is like a small town 20 kilometers south of Bonn. Yes. Um, and and Fraunhofer, the Fraunhofer Society itself is, is world famous for inventing MP3. But uh, I wasn't in the audio department. I was in the... Um, I was in a radar institute and they said, oh, we are actually having some, some metamaterial projects here to, to improve oh, okay. uh, a radar. And uh, so my expertise uh, fit quite well. And so they hired me. Um, but um, last year, so December 2018, I decided that my company is, is um, starting to slowly take off. So and my, my it was um, temporary contracts anyway. Contracts ran out, projects wrapped up, and my company was was doing uh, doing yeah moderately well. So I said, okay, I'm I, I need to I need to see if I can build up my company. Um, so maybe it's a good good point to part ways here. And so that's kinda what I'm doing, but uh, it's still part time. <laughs> and uh, is this is this you doing kind of like the the are you still doing stuff in a similar field or are you talking more about the kind of the 
the kind of the board game uh, tabletop side of things. Yeah, yeah, and the company is not is not a science company. It's a board game company that I started in 2016. Oh, right. or, or rather, it's it's a it's a general. I started it as a general entertainment company because I, I wrote a book, and then uh-huh. I did an anthology, so uh, like a short story collection with with many authors, and because. Uh, whenever there's other people involved, you never know if there's some um, disagreement down the line. And uh, then I thought, okay, if somebody wants to sue me for a billion dollars, then it's not good if uh, if mm. I'm liable. So I need a company so that in the worst case, the company is bankrupt. Yeah. But because yeah. I had this, this general entertainment company, then um, I could finally pursue also my um, my board game projects which I've been working on for yeah many decades but uh, um, never really made the jump the plunge to to actually go to Essen and say here I am and these are my games so that's um, what I did in 2016 let's talk about um, let's talk about your book because I'm always I'm always interested in people who are generally creative anyway. You know, I am a great believer in speaking to people who um in general are creative and, and, and you know, it's all it's speaking not always necessarily to kinda of completely concentrate on the um on the kind of the the board game side of things. I mean how how what's the story behind the book? The book itself is called it's called Age of Toradin. Yeah. Yes, that's correct. Um, what's the story behind that? I mean, how long were you? How long were you writing that for? Putting that together? I mean, what's the kind of the story behind how Age of Torrid Torridan kind of came about? Um, yeah, so I write. I I started writing that in I think two thousand eight or something like that, but. Uh, I'm saying writing and I'm using the term very loosely because at that time (laughs) what I would do is I would write a page and then I would um, basically say, ah, this is rubbish and just crumple the page, throw (laughs) it away and not touch it for another year or so. And um, during the PhD, uh, actually, normally you don't really have that much spare time, but uh, just as a creative outlet and and to offset the uh, research work i decided to whenever i did have a minute to to just continue working on this uh, on this novel and um i didn't really finish it then so uh, especially since when the stress of the phd picked up i had to shelve mm. it again but i made i made some some solid headway there and got about like twenty five thousand words down uh and wow. um, when I when I came back to Germany, I started to meet up with my best friend, um, who was in the UK when I wasn't in the UK, and then he came back, and it, it's, uh, then I went, and uh, so basically we were both in the same town again at that time, um, and so we started meeting up at the local library here, and uh, every Saturday, and so he was working on his um, on his poetry, and I was working on my novel. And eventually, with that consistent, uh, at least weekly effort uh, mm. over the years, it, it finally uh, came together. So that's uh, 
that's kind of how, how it went roughly. Um, there was another like inciting incident um, um, where I was meeting up with uh, some people from from yet a different community. Like uh, there, there's this game called Starcraft and then Starcraft oh, yeah. 2. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Ah, so you yeah. know that. Um, and, and there's, there's uh, in, in that realm, there's a prominent figure, uh, Sean Plot, Day9. I don't know if mm -hmm. you know him. Um, so he's, he was a pro gamer and then he did commentary and then he did his uh, day nine daily uh, where he was um, talking about the, the deeper strategy of the game. Uh, so, so an online show that he was streaming. Um, and anyway, people from his community said, oh, let's, let's all meet up. And I was, this was in the US. And so I said, okay, I've, I've not really had a long holiday in the US uh, in a while. Yeah. Uh, so let's go there. Let's let's meet up, and uh, while I'm there, just drive around California and yeah. uh, see see the USA a bit. Um, and anyway, so he said, "Oh, you're you're all coming here? Okay, I'm 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 meeting up uh, with you guys for a Korean barbecue." And uh, wow. then he he asked me, "Oh, so what are, what are you doing?" And so so I I, I mentioned the book, and then mm -hmm. he said, "Ah, oh, yeah, yeah. When you're done, let me read the book." And so I thought this was just a polite wow. figure of speech. Uh, yeah. So I just said, oh, yeah, 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 of course, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then um, he mentioned later on, he said, yeah, but but seriously, if you if you have the book finished, then just send it over. <laughs> and uh, then he, after uh, after we we finished dinner and and we were leaving, he uh, said it again. And so I said, okay, this is uh, the magic rule of three. So he said it three times. So now it's it's serious. And uh, <laughs> yeah. then uh, it was also serious for me. So then I said, oh, I, I need to finish this book now. So I actually uh -huh. sat down and um, got it ready. And uh, at some event the next year, I, I met him again. And he said, oh, what, what about this book? And I said, oh, I'm so glad you remembered. Here it is. And so <laughs> I gave him, uh, I gave him uh, a copy of the book. Um, yeah, so that was kind of the kick in the butt that I needed. But uh, it's uh, compared to, to board games, I cannot necessarily recommend it because writing a book is a lot of work and um, it's not as fun work. With, with game design, you can play your games and that's typically at some point it's fun. Whereas yeah. with the book, it's uh, or maybe um, it's for me, <laughs> it's, it's a very, um, it's, it's really strenuous work so and i'm i'm uh, particularly because i was so slow with it so i'm i'm not sure I, at some point i'm going to write something again but um this is more more of a hobby than uh, a career thing did you find you were kind of overly critical when you were writing i mean were you likely to kind of like write a couple of pages and then as you say kind of go back and delete that's, entire paragraphs and then kind of start again because you didn't feel it was kind of flowing together and things. That's initially what, what happened. But uh, I think there's there's a bit of this Dunning-Kruger stuff going on as well, where if, mm -hmm. you're, if you're not an expert, then you think, ah, this is amazing. Because whenever I read my stuff, I think, oh, this is really good. But um, I, I then, if I... If I with some some focus, you you can really see <laughs> that uh, it's not 
uh, expert level. So it's still I'm, I'm still I'm I'm still proud of it. Let's say it that way. But I mm. also see that I have uh, a lot to uh, to improve uh, for for other novels. I think um, it comes down to one of these things. That if you've actually finished your book, regardless, I guess of how it kind of turns out, at least you're you've done a lot more than a lot of people that have done. Because I know you know there's always a lot of people that get halfway into a book or a quarter of a way into the book or the first ten pages, and then they kind of you know, they kind of forget all about it and they kind of give up. Um, and to even, I, there's an awful lot of work that goes into writing stuff because it's not like, it's it's, it's kind of strange because a book can act almost like a kind of a board game with its mechanics that if you go, if you go and you're editing your, your book and you end up changing a section of that book, um, it can have ramifications for what you have to do later on in the book. You sometimes have to, it has a major effect on the plot, where you're Mm -hmm. taking the story, what can happen with the characters, where I can see why. Game design is just a case of, you. I guess with game design, it's very, very easy to have something up and running quite quickly. You know, if Mm -hmm. I'm looking at, say, you know, if I'm looking at Albedo, um, there's a lot of artwork on the cards there, but I'm guessing to kind of get the kind of the prime, the primary edition of the game, you know, the first edition of the game up and running, you would have been fine with a, a deck of kind of playing cards with some numbers written in the corner, basically, and some and some notes on it. I'm guessing. Yes, correct. This is uh, the, um, the the game design uh, angle is is quite interesting to me because initially when I started out. Um, I made these really big, sprawling, complicated games, and um, they never really survived the playtesting stage. And yeah. um, so, so my my first game that I sold at Essen, uh, which was about disaster mitigation, um, and also now Albedo as the second game with its expansions, um, I I basically started with a a simple game and then made it Mm -hmm. even simpler and uh, the the advantage is so both are basically card games so albedo is a card game and it plays in like 35 minutes and the advantage is that if you have a group of playtesters and you play a game the first time you play it it's not it's not good because if you yeah. if it's just if it's just a theoretical construct you you're thinking ah oh, this might be cool this might be cool um, and then you play it and you realize oh actually this doesn't work and that doesn't work but I, I know how to fix it then um, with a 30 minute card game you can do that you can just uh, take a pencil and and quickly change the cards and then everybody is is ready to go again if you have mm-hmm. a three hour game then it's a really hard sell to say, guys, guys, we didn't have fun for three hours. Let's have not fun for three hours again. <laughs> and and so all my complicated you lose, games... lose friends that way. Yeah, exactly. Lose a lot exactly. of friends. So that's, uh, that's a bit tricky. And I'm, I'm, still, I'm still working on some more complicated games, but um, they're a little bit elusive. But I'll, I'll get there. I, I need to level up as a game designer a bit, and then I think I can uh, get to the complicated games. Yeah, but again, again, you know, you've got um, you released, um, you've got Albedo out there. You've got is it? A, uh, I'm going to really murder the pronunciation of this, and I 
beg forgiveness before, but it's Das Katastrophenspiel. Yeah. Um, which right. was the, the first game that you. Yay! Yeah, and if you, if you look first. at that, it looks a bit prototypey. Um, but that was one of these things where you, you just have to get it out because. Yeah. Um, I recently found an old draw of mine uh, where um, there, there were some notes from my brother and uh, in the notes it said, oh, we have this pirate game and we want to release it for, for Spiel at uh, Essenspiel 2005. And uh, that never happened. Wow. But uh, so I, I, recently, <laughs> I recently found that again, snapped a photo of it, sent it to him and said, what's, what's up with that? Uh, you're, you're a little bit late. When, when can I expect the game? And so he wrote back like, haha, yeah, where did you find that? Um, but but it, it's kind of it's, it's kind of like that because I've been doing this for, for quite a long time, but never really yeah. pushed through. It's, it's kind of like what you said about the novels that you write like 25% or half a novel and then you, you put it away again. And it kind of like worked like that with my games until in 2016, I said, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm now going to get a booth at Essen and either I'm going to have a decent game that my, my playtesters like, or I'm just going to sit there on a folding chair with an empty booth and everybody is going to mock me. <laughs> and uh, I think you these, these, uh, these, these hard deadlines um, really get your creativity going. It's uh, kind of like when Sean Plott said, oh, I want to read your book. And I'm like, okay, yeah. let's uh, buckle down and get the book done. Uh, and and likewise, when I had the um, when I had the commitment that I had the booth, uh, I, I needed to to finish one of my games. And it's again, it was a little bit serendipity because um, my my other game was this complicated one again, and I I couldn't get it to work. I, I we were playing it and it, it just didn't click. And and this one was just a little side idea I had uh, about uh, disaster mitigation and uh, then we we managed to um, to to play it again and again and again until with, with many iterations it uh, it was okay so how did you how did you how did you actually get into the hobby in the first place I mean um were you exposed to quite heavier games from a kind of like a, a kind of a younger age yes. or yeah yeah so so what happened was that my my earliest memory of a game uh, is uh, one that is called in german it's called Verlies, and it actually has a really nice cover that is mm. apparently uh, a little bit nicked from uh, from um, some movie there's this on board game geek there's a, a photo about that uh, but but anyway, in the it's it's actually a famous game. It's called a Dungeon by Gary Gygax, I think. Oh yeah. Um, okay. And and um, but the German the German version came up with these ridiculous monster names. So it, it made it made more like a like a satire, like a spoof game, um, mm. because there was the, the crooked nose wolf spider and and, and nonsense <laughs> monsters like that. Um, so so really really charming, uh, funny fluffy stuff, and yeah. so 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 we had that game when I, when I was a kid. It must have been sometime in the eighties, um, and uh, so we played that and we were like, oh, this is amazing. Uh, let's see if they have something something like this in the in the stores. Mm. And so they had um, 
Das Schwarze Auge, which is uh, kind of like a role-playing game, uh, heavily influenced by uh, the early Dungeons and Dragons stuff, but uh, kind of with this uh, North mythology, Germanic kind of influence. And yeah. so we bought that and we opened the box. It was a box and it cost 30 marks. Uh, so quite expensive for, for kids back then. And we, we, we got it home, we, we opened the box and there's just two books in it. There's no, there's no <laughs> playing board. And like, what, what, what is this? This is, this is rubbish. This, let's take it back to the shop. This is not, but then we, fortunately we, uh, we actually looked at the books and then got into role-playing games for a bit. Yeah. But, um, at some point role-playing games really take a lot of time and effort from everybody involved. Uh, so the, the DM needs to prepare the adventure and, think about non-player characters and, and it's it's a lot of uh, almost acting and so at some point it was really difficult to to get everybody on board with that and meet up for that so we actually uh, returned to to board games and uh, then we went to in the 90s we went to to Essen and it was just fantastic because there were so many this was before the internet basically so mm -hmm. the internet existed, but nobody had it really. Uh, and um, there were there were all these game companies from all over the world. Like there was Australian Design Group, and uh, you get all these American games, the the Access and Allies, and and stuff like that. Uh, there was from the UK. There was the Games Workshop stuff, and it was just a fantastic, a fantastic experience. And um, I uh, I spent a lot of money that first games fair. Um, <clears throat> had my friends carry carry bags of stuff, and um, yeah, that was a really good experience. And so that's how I kind of got into the the hobby. When you were um, when you were staying over, kind of in the UK, mm -hmm. um, were you aware that the hobby maybe wasn't as big as it was in kind of Germany at the time, or when you were staying in the UK, were you starting to see kind of more of you know what we would kind of call the kind of the tabletop kind of hobby, the kind of your your Catans and um, things like that, Carcassons kind of out there? Was it as was the hobby as well known where you were in the UK as it was kind of back home in Germany? Yeah, that was already after the whole Catan craze. So Catan came about when I was at university in Germany. And uh, this is the thing, I have to say, Catan, I still think it's a great game. Uh, nowadays, people uh, scoff at it and, and go like, ah, oh, it's like Monopoly, blah, blah, blah. But uh, I, I, really, I really think it's, it's a fantastic game because of, of so many design points where you have you have this trading aspect which can be a bit annoying but the trading at least gets everybody involved so you're not you're not just sitting around waiting for for everybody else to finish their turn you can make an offer and say i will i will give you for your two sheep i will give you one ore and then people say what just one card blah 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 and uh, <laughs> that, that 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 is fantastic and even if you have to wait if, if everybody says okay i'm done trading with you we're, we're not making any more deals with you then the turns are so short that it's your turn soon again and, and there are so many modern design principles in Catan that i i still i haven't played it in in ages but i i still uh, at least I believe I would still have fun with it. 
Um, but yeah, when I was in the UK, uh, we actually already had modern kind of games. Like mm-hmm. I, I did, I did buy um, at, at Forbidden Planet. Uh, oh, uh, maybe I'm not allowed to say. It. Sorry, there are other shops, uh, and it's not an ad. Um, so there are many, many shops that sell it's stuff. Fine. Uh, and, it's and, fine. Um, you've mentioned you've mentioned Games Workshop anyway. So yeah, exactly. Planet, yeah, we true. might as well, you know, it's not like we're going to get into trouble. There are other shops available, but yeah, you know, Forbidden Planet's quite nice. So there you go. Yeah. So so I w- I was there and I bought uh, Battlestar Galactica. And all the expansions, and um, so wow. so I played that uh, when I was in the UK. And this is the thing I, I I do like to have the original version of the game because translations are typically not that good, and also um, I I know so many people from my time in the UK that I, I like to have games that I can actually play with people. Although my uh, my core group here is, uh, they're all German, so uh, it wouldn't matter. But uh, I do like the originals. So do you do you prefer then to have an English version of the game as opposed to, unless it's been developed at the same time? Would you prefer to have the original kind of vanilla English version of the game as opposed to a later on kind of German translation? Is it is there kind of differences within? kind of the translations that can make a difference to the game and the mechanics itself? Well, um, I think it's a, it's a funny thing. Whenever I experience anything for the first time in a certain way, I prefer that. So, for instance, uh, King of Tokyo, I actually have the, mm-hmm. the German version. And, mm-hmm. <clears throat> sorry, the expansions I have in English. So, first of all, it's a mix of stuff. I don't like that, but I can't help it in this case. But uh, now um, in King of Tokyo, there is a card that is called Armageddon in the German version. And it's called Total Destruction in the English version. And personally, I, <laughs> yeah. prefer, I prefer to be called Armageddon because I think that is a lot more powerful. But I'm wondering, do I prefer it because this is like how I experienced the card for the first time? Or do I prefer it because yeah. it really is better? Uh, and it's... Um, it's likewise for for any uh, media. So so Star Wars I've seen in in uh, German first, and um, Die Hard is actually better in the German dub than in the original. <laughs> but um, that's a strong that's a strong claim, Kai. It is it is. But I can I can almost uh, rationalize that because. In, in Die Hard, in the original, it's the German terrorists, and yeah. Alan, Alan Rickman clearly is not German. So, uh, and, and, and his name in the movie is uh, Hans Gruber, and, and Hans is, is also like, it's so, such a cliche name. Whereas in the German dub, yeah. in the German dub, it's uh, the European terrorists, and so ah. uh, Alan, Alan Rickman's character is called uh, Jack. So and there's this this uh, guy with the stubble and the uh, dark dark hair, yeah. And he's he's in the German dub. He's an Italian with an Italian accent. So it's it's really it's a really good and funny movie. And I, I watched then the original, which is just gritty and and too serious for its own good. So I prefer the goofy, light-hearted uh, stuff that the translators um, did in in the German dub. Did they change the script then for some they, they parts did, of yeah. it? Did they? Yeah, of course. Really? They had to. 
Yeah, because <laughs> because when he's in the elevator and he's silently recording that their names are Hans and Karl, uh, yeah. that doesn't fit because they gave them new names. And so in the German version, he's saying, ah, you know, I'll just give you a funny, a few funny nicknames here, uh, Hans and Karl, just like uh, two giants from this old fairy tale. And <laughs> so there's there's invented nonsense dialogue in the in the movie that. Um, Yeah, and in, instead of uh, uh, mother bleep bleep, he's saying um, Schweinebacke, so like uh, pig uh, cheek, oh, which right. is not really, it's not really an insult. And it just was something that these guys came up with. And I've, I've heard it for the first time there in this movie, but it, it just mm. fit very well. And so, as I said, it's more like a, an action comedy in the German dub, whereas in the original, it's, it's a serious action movie. So what you're saying is that the Die Hard version, the German version, is the superior, the best yeah. version. And Definitely. everybody that everybody that comes up and says, oh, Die Hard's on, it's the ultimate Christmas movie, you're sitting there going, you think you know Die Hard, but I know Die Hard so much better. Did <laughs> yeah, but, but, but I, I have to be uh, very um, lenient and uh, forgiving because these people are right. It is the best Christmas movie. <laughs> but the German version is ever so slightly the better version. Yeah, uh, I guess so, yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think they should. what they should do is they should take the German version and uh, put subtitles on it and then uh, show it in the UK and uh, in the US that way. I wonder if that's. If, I wonder if that actually exists. That would be absolutely awesome. I would, that would if be that existed. That I'd need to actually see if that actually exists. I'm. Pr ish, I'm. I'm pr there's bound to be the German dub of the film, which has got English subtitles. I'm, there has to be. It has to kind of ex It has to kind of exist as well. Um, is there any? I mean, this is fascinating. Is there any other kind of films of note that you've noticed a massive difference? Yeah, Star Wars. Like the, really? Uh, yeah, the initial Star Wars. Um, so there are um, a few dialogue lines that don't exist in the uh, in the original. So there's a scene in the cantina in the in the first movie <coughs> where Luke just um, pulls the uh, sleeve of the bartender, and then the bartender wordlessly puts something to drink in front of him. And in, in the German version, he actually says, hey, buddy, you got one for me? And then he puts in his drink. And uh, there's, there's some more stuff there, but I, I'm, I'm blanking on it. But there's, there's several instances in Star Wars where there's dialogue that didn't exist in the, in the original. And of course, this is... Uh, I'm, I'm, I can't say it, but uh, anyway, it's uh, no, 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 no. Say, say it. it, no, say it, say it, say it, say it. Say so it, you say have, it, you it. have, you have. Okay, I have to, I have to word this carefully, otherwise I will get lynched. So in Star Wars, you have actors, uh, a lot of actors that are um, a bit green. They are new, and they, yeah, and you can, you can tell that they are not seasoned actors. Um, but in in a dub, you have uh, professional voice actors. So the dub uh, automatically um, is is increasing the value of the product in the, in that way. But uh, it's you said Mark Hamill's rubbish. Then is this what you're saying? Are you saying Mark Hamill uh, in the original Star Wars um, was a rubbish actor? No, 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 actor? of course not. No, 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 no. 
But uh, anyway, um, the thing is about Star Wars. This is this is so. I'm I'm actually I'm bringing it back to what I said originally before yeah. before I really get lynched. Um, it's it's always for me a matter of where I see it for the first time. If I had seen Star Wars in the English version, in the original, I probably would have liked the original a lot better. And mm. um, and so nowadays I actually go out of my way to to see, for instance, in the, the all the Marvel stuff I've, I've seen uh, in the original version because I don't want to see the mm. the dub. I, I don't I don't want to be the dub uh, to be the first impression because I want to have the the original experience. I'm kind of intrigued to know. I'm really really intrigued to know if the Star Wars prequels actually get better in any way, shape or form in the kind of the German dubbed version. Or they're if different. they're universally if they're universally quite <laughs> quite poor. It's in the uh, in the kind okay, of the dubbed so version as well. Let's let's do this little detour here. So Star Wars episode one, um you have these Trade Federation guys and in the original they have a Japanese accent and in the German version they have a French accent. So that's uh, that's one change, uh, that, and that automatically makes it better. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, oh, please but, but please tell me that when they realise the Jedi's arrived, they go Zutalor, Zutalor, the Jedi. Please, it's it's, uh, it's 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 very very much like that. Yeah, so. Um, <laughs> But but I was uh, yeah th- these are small small differences that I've kind of seen. But I actually I actually like Episode One, so it's it's actually for me it's it's a proper proper Star Wars movie. Whereas the new stuff, I'm thinking, well, it's it's a nice science fiction movie, but it's it's not really Star Wars. So does that make I sense? I think it's yeah, and I'll, yeah because I think Episode One was made for people who were at the time 20 years younger than me you know what i mean yeah and yeah I think exactly the, the latest yeah. ones the latest ones are made for people who are 30 years <laughs> younger than me but i think that um the latest ones you know um the force awakens for instance i think they did a good job of they almost rehashed the original star wars story and kind of brought it kind of up to date and um I kinda liked it. I I guess um it was really funny because I think at the time the internet was just trying to really find its feet while Star Wars the the kind of the prequels mm-hmm. were kind of being made. So um there was the beginnings of things like Ain't It Cool News dot com that came out and they you know there was the force dot net and they were kind of giving kind of releases and spoilers and there was speculation and everything like that and it was really something that was kind of driven driven an awful lot by the internet news on the internet that was getting back whereas when we were growing up probably when like return of the jedi there wasn't any information apart from what was on um you know what was released by Lucasfilm. You know they, mm. the studio decided what was available. Nowadays, it's almost like we've got to the point where um, <clears throat> they actually release fake trailers, or they make they make amendments to the trailers. They, you know they they've come out and recently. You know the I don't know if you've seen Endgame, the last kind of. I did, yeah. 
but it's kind of apparent if you go back and look at the trailers, there's a few alterations that they've made to the trailers, and I'm not going to mention the alterations because there's, you know, obviously it's still a fresh film, but there's alterations that they made to the trailers um, in order to kind of sidestep the audience yeah. slightly. So it's almost like we're not we're not releasing kind of we're not you're not getting leaks. It's like we are giving you leaks and we're giving you pictures, but we're kind of controlling the information and and they've got to the point now where they're actually producing and manufacturing almost like um false press releases in order to keep everything kind of fresh but keep the information yeah. going which is kind of just kind of pretty which is kind but of pretty I've cool I've heard I've heard that was also the case for the original Star Wars where um Mark Hamill didn't know what Darth Vader was was saying uh, yeah that, yeah so and yeah. and the reveal, uh, I think in his script it was uh, something like uh, Obi Wan killed your father or something like that, and then he goes like, yeah. oh, um, yeah, and then he he found out when he saw the movie and like, oh, so so that's how it actually. Yeah, went. I saw that. Yeah, <laughs> he found out either I think it was either when he saw the movie or I think it was him. Lucas yeah. came in and and said, right, if you see this, we're only telling you. And you're the only person that knew. And they had to, um, they actually needed to um, to do the dub and stuff like that. Because they used to have, um, James Earl Jones used to do the voiceover, but they also yeah. used to have him standing near the side of the set, kind of reciting his lines so he could get into the get into the spirit of things and stuff like that. And I believe that David Prowse was famous for just not being able to keep his mouth shut. So for oh, the okay. scene... So for what they did for the scene was they originally had, I think, they originally had him saying on the set, Obi-Wan killed your father kind of thing. And then later on, James Earl Jones, you know, obviously dubbed in the famous, you know, the famous line instead. So Mark Hamill said for a while he was the only person because he, I think uh, he said that Harrison Ford kind of got angry with him in a jokey way. But he says, you know, you knew about this, didn't you? He says, why didn't you? Why didn't you? Why didn't you tell me? Basically, kind of, um, <clears throat> kind of going, going back. Obviously, this there's enough yeah, people talking tangent. about Star Wars. There's entire podcasts about this. But um, <laughs> how many? When it comes to kind of like, um, you obviously you released your first, you released your first game. Did you self-publish that? Did you go down the Kickstarter route for? For that, or did, or how did, how did you kind of get that out there for people? So the Das Katastrophenspiel, the catastrophe mitigation game. Yes, I, yes. Uh, I, I made pretty much every beginner's mistake I could make, so I self-published that, which is not not a mistake. But the mistake I made was I didn't get um, a proper board game manufacturer on board, and instead I did a little self-assembly of different parts so i had one company print the cards i had another company print the manual i had another yeah. pr company print the boxes and then um, i had yet another company that um, got the 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 chits and the the meeples and well there are no meeples the pawns um, and that stuff and then all these things arrived and i had to hand assemble them myself so mm -hmm. it was A, messy, it was B, expensive, and C, it was uh, of um, not matching quality. So the box is super flimsy, 
and there's there's a lot of things that um, I could have avoided if I had if I had had the time to go to just one company to get my game produced and this is what I did with Albedo so it was a big learning experience uh, get get uh, artists to produce artwork and then mm-hmm. uh, go to go to a company uh, so I went with um, I'm not sure again if I can say the names on air. Um, you can say whatever you want; it's all completely fine. You know. Okay. So, so basically, I queried different companies um, in China and in India and in Germany and in Poland, and eventually, I went with a Polish company um, called Fabrika Card. They used to be tre- Treffel, but they uh, kind of split up their um, their game manufacturing company and where they offer this for as a service for other people um uh-huh. and they are very 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 good i can i can really recommend them so uh, this these uh, are the people i've uh, stuck with ever since what was it um what was it like kind of when you were you know when you were kind of um putting out albedo kind of like for the for the first time I mean, was is was the landscape kind of different in terms of getting the kind of the name out there? I mean, I know it's obviously it was kind of a year ago. Well, it was almost in July um, that you funded. But have you noticed? Have you noticed a change, or mm-hmm. have you noticed a change in how Kickstarter's kind of been running since you kind of ran the first campaign? Well, the the Kickstarter was slightly different. Was the Kickstarter for the expansion because my initial Kickstarter for Albedo uh, actually failed, and mm-hmm. then I decided to um, dig into my savings and uh, still produce the game because I believe mm-hmm. in the game and it was uh, also well received. Uh, so I had this this situation where I did a small print run just to see how how well it goes, and then it was like sold out in uh, two days, and uh, people wanted more. And I thought, okay, so there is an interest here, but I didn't really advertise my my Kickstarter campaign, um, so so that didn't fund. And I I produced the game myself, and then I said, okay, I'm I'm going to do a Kickstarter for an expansion when people uh-huh. know the game exists and some some reviewers have played the game and they can get the base game as well because I, I already have it produced and then they we can get an expansion going. And this uh, went fairly well. And so I'm, I'm basically now doing the same thing again that I'm preparing the second expansion and uh, I've actually, uh, again, a little um, learning experience because it's so difficult f- to, uh, to, to get a, a URL um, to point people to because the Kickstarter URLs are... Uh, They're huge. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, so now I had the idea to actually get a short URL myself uh, and that just forwards to whatever project I'm running at the mm-hmm. moment. So All right, um, okay. I'm, 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 I'm going to uh, plug that as well. It's forw.de, so kind of like forward. Um, and that forwards to, uh, at the moment, a timer that uh, is a running clock. Um, and... Um, uh, essentially, once the campaign is live, it might actually be... Is it live? I don't know. Could be live already. Um, then it's it's forwarding to the campaign page. 
Yeah. And after afterwards it will be forwarded to it will be forwarded to my company page again. So that's that's kind of the idea. But the, 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 the big problem was that all the good URLs are already taken, of course. I should have I should have done this ten years ago. But um <laughs> I was happy that I got a, a reasonably short URL again for this. Do you wanna um do you wanna tell us about how you actually play Albedo? Because um, you know, um the expansion the for the the latest expansion that's going to be coming out um, is going to be coming out relatively, you know, relatively soon. Um, so for people that are, you know, kind of interested, I mean, will you give them the ability to be able to get um, the base game as well? Yeah, as part of the campaign. Yeah, so this time <clears throat> I decided to just have four tiers. So the first tier is just the expansion for people who have the game already. Then there is the base mm-hmm. game plus uh, the expansion. Then there is the base game plus the first expansion, which was called Space Pirates, um, and the expansion. And the last tier is is two times the base game plus both expansions. And the reason why people might want two of the base game is actually that uh, one one uh, box uh, of Albedo. It's a very small box card game. Um, it has 110 cards and it is for two to four people and with two boxes you can extend this to two to eight people and uh, because oh. it is uh, it is a simultaneous um, action game uh, I, will, mm-hmm. I will tell you about how it works uh, in a minute but uh, because of this simultaneous action it actually works as an eight player game so we tested it in all configurations and it still takes uh, the same amount of time so something like 30 to 40 minutes um, so in, in some games that say, or oh, where we can play it up to eight, you can only really play it up to, I don't know, five people because otherwise the downtime mm-hmm. between turns is, is so big, but it's not the case here. Um, yeah, so that's, that's one strength of the game and it's, it's, a it, the core mechanic is deck building, but it's not. A standard deck builder so if people expect this to be the next dominion then i have to disappoint them but i think <laughs> dominion is already doing fine being dominion so there's no yeah. need for me to to reinvent the wheel and instead <laughs> instead i, I try to do uh, a few things differently so one was the simultaneous stuff that i just mentioned and the other is that um, in, in Albedo you have you have different cards that are your units. So you have initially three different types: infantry, uh, fighter planes, and uh, an ace pilot. And the infantry there's two two values per card. The infantry has zero points space combat and two points of ground combat. And your fighter is uh, the other way around. The fighter has two points of space combat and zero points of ground combat. But one twist right. of the game is that you can actually rotate your card by 180 degrees and then the fighters uh, or actually any spaceship in the game gets a different loadout. So the when they are um, in space combat fighting against other fighters, they would have some, some rockets <clears throat> and that's why they have this space combat. But if you retrofit them for ground combat, they would get a bomb loadout or something like that, thematic. Um, and then they would have one point of space combat and one point of ground combat. And the reason why you would want to shift these values is that every round there's two planets that you can attack. 
<clears throat> and each planet has uh, three different locations where you can land. Yeah. Okay. And we secretly we secretly decide to divide our forces. Do we want to go to planet one? Do we want to go to planet two? Or do we want to split up and send maybe like four guys to planet one and two people to planet two? And um, you need ground combat in order to conquer these planetary locations. So if the first planet, for instance, has one location that gives you six victory points and one location that gives you for four points um, a new yeah. spaceship, a cruiser, then you can, and you have like two infantry and four fighters, then you could say, okay, my two infantry already has four points of ground combat, so I could get for four points this, um, this cruiser factory. But I can also shift my, my fighters uh, so that they lose space combat, but they gain ground combat, and then I can maybe get the six victory points. And um, But because you, you secretly do this and uh, then um, assign a navigation card that you're going to planet one secretly, um, somebody else might have a higher space combat value. Maybe they didn't shift down and they have like four fighters and the two ah, infantry. Okay. And so they beat yeah, you in yeah. space. And then because they beat you in space, they can uh, already cherry pick the good locations and you only get uh, the leftovers. So it's, it's, it's kind of like, um, like a bluffing game, almost a secret bit where you, you're bidding um, <laughs> your space combat points to, to win initiative. And with the initiative, you get to choose the, the planetary locations that give you the most benefit and you need to spend your ground combat as kind of like the currency to buy benefits there. And that way it's also uh, self-balancing because if some, uh, if one person says, I'm going here and I'm taking the victory points, then they don't improve their deck. Then somebody else at the same planet might say, I cannot get the victory points anymore because yeah. the other player has yeah. them. I can now yeah. take this cruiser card and improve my deck. And then a third person might say, well, the good two locations are gone, but I'm still getting uh -huh. a consolation prize and I can streamline my, my, my deck and get rid of cards. Um, so in, in later rounds, the person who has uh, <coughs> victory points initially, they might lose the space combat because they didn't improve their, their, their cards. And um, uh, therefore, as I said, it's a little bit uh, self-balancing and this space combat is not destructive, so everybody always improves. And the last, um, the last um, idea uh, of this game is that in a standard deck builder, you always have twice the amount of cards than uh, your starting hand. So in Dominion, you have uh, 10 cards and you draw five yeah. of them. And in uh, Tyrants of the Underdark, you have 12 cards and you draw six of them. And in, yeah. uh, in, in Big Book of Madness, same thing. Um, so here you draw six cards, but you don't have 12 in your deck. You have nine cards in your deck. And this has right. uh, two advantages. One advantage is that uh, if you pick up a nice card for your deck in round one, you can already have it in round two, maybe, if you're lucky. But mm -hmm. in, other, in other deck builders, you would see the card for the first time in round three at the earliest. <clears throat> and yeah, yeah. Um, so it speeds up the early game. 
And the other advantage is that the second round is not, um, you cannot calculate exactly what other people have. In other games, you know exactly, oh, they played this on the first turn, therefore the yeah. leftover cards are that, and I know exactly what they're going to do in the second turn. And this is not the case here. So <clears throat> that way um, it, it, it makes the game faster and speeds up this, this uncertain, uh, getting into this uncertain territory. Yeah, my the only thing I've ever noticed with deck builders is you get to, you can get to a point where somebody builds up so much momentum that they're pretty much kind of unstoppable if they get a kind of a good kind of starting hand pretty quickly. I play, mm. um, I don't know if you play um, Star Realms at all, and um, Star Realms can can sometimes hinge on. Um, your cards coming back into your kind of your 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 hand kind of again it's I think it's f mm-hmm. um it's five and ten I think you're looking at so again you're right you're kind of you're not starting to get your hand your cards back into the until about the kind of the third round and sometimes if somebody's lucky they've got the ability to you know they might have the option to purchase more cards for you know and maybe even land a very decent kind of powerful card quite on and then as soon as it's easier to kind of gain a momentum um, and build up a whole almost fleet of ships that can take kind of people out. When you were designing the game, because you've got more than just two players, did you have to be an awful lot more conscious of how you were kind of balancing the game? Did you did you make it less complicated in order to make it more easier to balance, for instance? Um, no, I actually started off a bit more complicated. I said not two values, but there was also this uh, espionage value and there was another purchase value where um, initially mm-hmm. you would uh, there were secret decks. Uh, now the decks are all face up. You see exactly what you're getting. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and, and before you had this, this espionage thing where you would draw three cards, for instance, and uh, look at the cards and... Um, Basically, in the playtesting sessions, I, de- I I found out this is complicated, but not fun complicated. It's just an extra layer of thinking about stuff. And that's, um, I continuously pared it down until it was the bare minimum, where you have this initiative with the space combat and then the purchasing by essentially <laughs> conquering stuff on the planets. Um, and this balancing happen automatically due to these different locations and this consolation price mechanic where where people can always get something. And interestingly enough, this was also, I I wish I could say, ah, this is a brilliant design, but it just happened by chance that in a two-player game you have different strategies. So in a a four-player game, you want to make sure that you get one of the uh, unique locations that only one person can go to. So you, you typically consolidate your, your fleet. And in a two-player game, because you know you're either getting victory points or you're getting a really powerful upgrade card for your deck, um, you can split up more often to two planets. And this, this was I, I found it very interesting that this um, is, is, a, is a viable strategy, but I, I didn't design it to be a viable strategy. I wish I had, but uh, this was just mm. serendipity. So I think that's what happens when it comes to kind of like playtesting and sometimes things like that. Sometimes 
someday I'll just say something like, you should have four cards instead of three there, and you'll be like, that's a terrible idea. How dare you even suggest that? And then you kind of give it two minutes, and you're like, ah, oh, that's really, really good. I should have thought, I should have thought that from the very, very beginning. But I think that's why kind of um, playtesting is kind of, kind of very, very important. I mean, um, when you've done playtesting um, on this, um, did you use the same group of people? Did you try out at different kind of groups and clubs and places like that to get kind of feedback when you did the playtesting? Uh, both. So I have my core group and they're actually very good at, at spotting weak spots in, in games. So I, I um, mostly rely on them, but I also have uh, some other groups where I go to. And it's really difficult if you don't have a core group because uh, people say, oh, you need to test 100 times with 100 different people. But the problem there is you're testing um, <clears throat> first impressions of a game. And uh, it's, it's also important that if you, if you introduce a new thing like an expansion, that you test it with people who are actually familiar with the game and can uh, play at a, at a certain level where you can actually see, does this work? Is this overpowered? Uh, if you play with new people all the time, you will not find that one out. You, you might, by chance, there, there might be... Uh, there, there was one instance where uh, I demoed the game after it was released and the guy actually beat me without me playing badly uh, uh -huh. i was just playing normally and he and he beat me and i was like oh this is really yeah he's really good he immediately picked <laughs> up on the game and um so so but for the most part if you if you have uh, random people then you will not get this in-depth analysis um and and for me with playtesting for me the most important thing is not that I tick a box and say, oh, I've playtested this a hundred times. This is sufficient. Fine. Okay, let's roll it out. But more yeah. um, the iterations. I'm interested in multiple iterations. And uh, they uh, recently playtested a game from someone else. And this was like the 70s playtest. But I'm not sure if this game has gone through enough iterations. And then... You can play if I if I played this initial state with the four uh, values a hundred times, then I would not have received a good game, and and you you kind of really start this this stress test play testing once you are at a state of the game where there's no more uh, the, the iterations are more fine tuning rather than um, we're we're scrapping complete mechanics, uh, sorry mechanisms. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, yeah, I mean, I think um, the other thing with playtesting as well is um, the ideas side of things. You get kind of people can kind of give you ideas. Um, I also know, unless you get other people's viewpoints, it's very easy to fall in the trap where you almost forget how to explain the game to new players for the first time for accessibility, as well. Mm -hmm. If you know what I mean. You know, there's I've I've read a lot of rule books from first time designer developers, and sometimes the rule books read very very well, and sometimes you get the feeling that the rule book is only ever going to read very well if the designer is 
actually standing next to you and able to point out the bits in the rule book which don't explain themselves and I've seen I've seen that a few times to be mm, honest um, as well yeah I'm I'm this is actually a very interesting point because I think uh, I'm I could have done a better job with the rule book um, but what I'm doing is that uh, the box because the box is so small I only have a small bare bones rule book in it and then I tell people you can go online and get a more extensive rule book with with more examples and stuff like that. Mm. But even that, what I what I really need to do, I think they did it in um, in Root where they have two rule books and one is kind of like visually focused and one is text focused. And so I uh, did um, did a lot of text and I think I need some more graphics to explain the concepts to people because it is actually at its core a very simple game but because people come with their preconceptions and it works different than than what they're used to uh, it, it feels difficult to them and i didn't do a good enough job to explain this and i think with with some pictures it should be a, a lot more easy to convey these things that you can rotate cards and that you have to have this um, card on top, the navigation card to, to secretly show which planet you're going to. Um, and all these points are, are so different about the game, but not, not difficult, I think, um, that mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. I, I, I would need to, to do a better job explaining them. So yeah, I, I guilty as charged. I think uh, I still have a lot to learn <laughs> when it comes to rulebook writing. I think I think it's a skill, and I think um, it's something that people like, say, Paul Grogan, do very, very well. Because I think it takes a particular type of mindset to not not assume that the player. Um, I used to write training manuals, and I think that you have to assume that people don't even know the most basic of the basic, mm. um, and not be patronising. But also, you have to. Sometimes I see rule books that automatically assume kind of people are aware of what certain mechanics mean. Yeah. And sometimes I think you need to think, well, if I'm if this is the only board game that's ever been invented in the world and I'm explaining my core concepts so basically even people that have never played a game can pick up my game and play, you know, it might make the rule book an awful lot kind of bigger. But at the same time, if it means that um, people can just jump in straight away and start playing, because people are quite they're quite time short. So if they spend, I mean, I know a lot of people who sit down and read through a rule book before they play, um, and if they're struggling with that, they'll then go and watch a, a kind of a playthrough video. I know a lot of people nowadays who don't even bother with a rule book, and they go straight to a kind of a playthrough video because they don't have the time to be going through a rule book and get it all kind of explained but it's kind of a strange I think it's a strange thing, I think they call it being too close to the coal face where you're so used to seeing how your game works on a day to day basis, you forget that somebody maybe looking in from the other side is going to is gonna kind of kind of see it um, have you have you decided on prices for the Kickstarter, then how much you know, kind of the the different tiers are going to be. Yeah, I'm. Uh, so the MSRP for the base game is is nineteen. So on Kickstarter, I have it for seventeen, 
and um, mm. likewise with the expansion um, <clears throat> the expansion the first expansion was 15 and then it's 14 um, on Kickstarter but um, this uh, second expansion is going to be a bit bigger and uh, so it's more closer to the 19 but there's also in that pledge there's also the shipping uh, rolled in so uh, not not quite I'm subsidizing uh, part of the shipping but uh, a few euros are uh, rolled into it and so I think it will be something around 22 euros um, okay. for the for that initial um, for that initial tier okay 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 um, if people have listened along tonight and they want to keep an eye on the campaign, keep an eye on yourself. Where do we find you on the interweb nets, Kai? Mostly, I'm actually on on Board Game Geek. I'm uh, in the game design uh, forum, um, but mostly lurking. But there's a few threads where I'm I'm active. Um, generally, BoardGameGeek.com is uh, is good to to find my game. If you have any questions about the game, I can. Uh, I get a ping there and can answer that. And um, on Twitter, I'm uh, at uh, twitter.com slash Kai Herberts, so K-A-I-H-E-R-B-E-R-T-Z or T-Z, depending on uh, whether <laughs> you're listening in the UK or in the US. Um, and um, yeah, as I said, I now have this forwarding address, F-O-R-W dot D-E, and otherwise, the game company is H-E-S-P-I-E-L-E dot D-E. That's, that's about it. That's my, my internet stomping grounds. Excellent. Excellent. As normal, what we'll do is I'll take those links, I'll put them in the show notes so that we have got notes to show. Um, thank you very, very much for coming on. I know it's very late now. Because it's almost, it's almost Kai turns into a pumpkin kind yeah, of time. Because you're like, well, <laughs> the hour, the hour is actually not the problem. So it's like eleven fifty-three uh, at the moment. Mm -hmm. But this is not the problem. The problem is that I didn't uh, foolishly, I didn't uh, put a glass of water here. So uh, actually, I did, but it's empty now. And so yeah. I can, I can feel my voice is uh, starting to crack. <laughs> and I was actually coughing a few times during uh, during our chat. It's all good. It's all good. But uh, yeah, um, thanks. Thanks for having me. It was really a pleasure, and uh, uh, yeah, I quite enjoyed it. Good, good. Um, if you've listened along tonight and you want to keep an eye on what we're up to, there's a couple of places you can find us in our worn out places, worn out faces. Um, if you go to Google and you search for "We're Not Wizards." You'll find us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and our website and our blog. And um, yes, you'll find us there. You'll find us on um, you'll find us on the various podcast catchers that have got the name pod and name cast in them too. Except for Spotify, which has got neither, but it does have our podcast on it. Um, you can email us, which is magic at We're Not Wizards. If you want to support the show, you can support us by telling other people about us. And we also have a Patreon as well. And if you feel that you've enjoyed tonight and you want to support us with some financial monies, um, then feel free to become a patron through 
there um otherwise if you jump onto apple podcasts and if you give us a subscription that's very very nice if you give us a rating make sure you don't give us a 10 because that will make us big-headed but don't give us a one because that makes us cry give us something in the middle like a five because it's average and we're just a little bit average but the person who's not been average is the rather wonderful the rather fantastic mr kai herberts so thank you very much again kai for coming thank on thank you yeah really really appreciate really really appreciate your time and also really really appreciate your support um during the kickstarter campaign as well um there's only two more things to do the um the first thing is to remember that we're many things but we're not wizards are we wizards kai i'm not allowed to say <laughs> was that a no Please don't. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, who, who, who can really tell these days who's a wizard and not a wizard? Well, I'll tell you what. I mean, just tell me whether or not you're a, a wizard in German, basically, and I'll not know. No, so, I'm not a wizard. There you go. <laughs> and the second thing is to say goodbye. And I, see, so the thing is, I, I, I would say you're not a wizard, but maybe you are a wizard and you just don't, don't want people to know. So I, I don't just, really want to, just, you know. I definitely, if I, if, I ha- if I was a wizard, I'd have it in my Twitter profile, wouldn't I? Oh, you that's know? true. Yes. Basically. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Point. If you looked, if you look at my Twitter profile, it definitely doesn't say I'm a wizard in it at all. Near yeah. the top. Who in the title? At all. Have known. Not even slightly. Um... <laughs> And the second thing is to say goodbye. So it's a goodbye from Kai. Say goodbye, Kai. Goodbye, Kai. And it's a goodbye from me. Remember, stay safe. Roll sixes. Um, make something awful. Dot fireside. FM. Check out that link um, for something different. And until the next time. I mean, yes. I mean, check out all the links that we give you tonight so you can go and check Albedo when it's coming out on Kickstarter which is going to be in the next week or even before then Um, but until the next time Ovita Sen A wizard is never late Nor is he early. He arrives precisely when he means to. (laughs) 